I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, and find 1 John chapter number 5. We're looking at the last of a series in these messages through uh, this powerful book of 1 John. The title of this sermon series has been Confident Faith, and indeed, again and again and again, John's reminding us of what we know for certain, what we know to be sure, what we know to be true. There are many false narratives in this life and in this world. This world is filled with lots of lies. Can anybody else say amen to that? There's a lot of lies in this world. And you know what? Often we believe the lie. It's a false narrative. And these false narratives get into our mind, our heart, our thinking, and they, they affect our conduct. Whenever you buy into the world's false lies or have internalized and made that false life a truth that you believe and hold to, it has a result in your life that is usually not, always not good. And these false lies include ideas that you are alone. Anybody ever feel alone? But can I tell you something? You are not alone. But the false lie is that you're all alone. Secondly, that I've got to be in control all the time. If I'm not in control, things are out of control, so I'm in control. Well, your control issues is the problem. Third thing is it's based in our fear that some terrible thing is going to happen if I make a mistake. Let me tell you something. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You've made plenty of mistakes. But this universe isn't held together by your power. Another false narrative is that life must always be fair and just. Life isn't always fair and just in this world. But God gets the last word. I thought I heard myself preaching twice here. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on Facebook and you, or YouTube when we're streaming live. And number five, I need to be perfect all the time. Well, that's a false narrative too, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ came for sinners, and that's for all of us. Amen? Today, I want us to look at some truth, things that are true, things that are certain, and uh, that dispel some of these false narratives in our lives. Number one, chapter five. Do you have your Bible? Look with me. Chapter number five, beginning with verse number 13. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is good news. He says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I've written these things that you might know. The word know there is the word gnosis. For instance, when we say someone is agnostic, that means a, a means no, none, 
no knowledge. I'm agnostic. I don't know. Over against someone who's atheist, meaning no God, no faith, no, no God. So agnostic means I don't know. But here, John says, we know, gnosis. We have knowledge. We have certainty, and it is a settled knowledge. And the question is, can I know for certain that I have eternal life? Yes, you can know. That's what he says in 1 John chapter number 5, verse 13. So let's, let's go ahead and finish reading the text, right? So I've written these things for you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know we have what we've asked for. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask, and God will give, him li give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Now, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know the true one. We are, we are in the true one. That is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he's the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Amen. So look at this passage of Scripture. What are some assurances? What are things that we know? Three general big points today. Number one, you have an assurance of eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. Secondly, you should have a confidence in your prayer life. And thirdly, you have confidence in victory that Jesus is going to provide for you. So let's look at this together. First of all, there's an assurance in your prayer life. He says, you can know. How do I know? Because number one, God's not a liar. How many of y'all believe that God always tells the truth? Of course he does. He is not a liar. Everybody else in the world may lie, but not God. And you can take what he says to the bank. And if he says that we have life in his son, we have life in his son. Secondly, not only God's word, but Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This gives us confidence that we have eternal life because the one that was slain in our place rose again victoriously out of the grave. And when you put your faith and trust in him, you have the hope of resurrection, life, and power inside of you. Now notice what he says in this text. He says, I've written these things who believe in the name of the Son of God. By believe, that means you are believing in the name of the Son of God. What does that mean, to believe in the name of the Son of God? That means you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in his name. That means you believe in his, his person. You believe in his work. And you believe in his authority. You believe, and you believe, you put your faith and trust in him. What does it mean to believe? 
Believing is a living, active trust in Jesus Christ alone. You are trusting. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone to provide eternal life for you? Folks, your eternal life is not based on some experience that you had in the past. It's in a living, trusting relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not in an experience, not in an emotion. Well, I had this experience, and, and, and I just felt all of this wave of warmth, emotion, and, and, and now I just don't feel that anymore. I must not be saved. I just don't feel saved. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. I mean, you might have eaten bad Taco Bell. You don't feel good. It's not some past experience. That's where, not, not in some past experience. It's a living faith now. It's not in a pastor's word. It's not in a church. It's not in baptism even. It's not in a denomination, and it's not in a church membership role. It is in Jesus Christ and his name who he is. That's our confidence. Are you trusting in Jesus alone as your Savior? Do you believe in him John writes at the end of his gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. The word belief means, is the word pisteo. It means to put your trust in, reliance upon. You're putting your faith in Jesus and him alone. In 1 John 2.25, it says, This is the promise that he himself has made, eternal life. Jesus has promised us eternal life, and it's found in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Life is found in Jesus and none other. 1 John 3.23 says, This is commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus Christ. It is believing that we have life in his name. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, just before the text. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. Now listen. And this life is in his what? Son. He who has the Son has what? And he who has not the Son has not what? Life is found where? In the Son. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your hope in him? Do you have a living trust in Jesus Christ? Faith means you believe in him. You trust in him. Were there ever some people in the New Testament that struggled with having faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes. One of them was the twelve, one among the twelve, wasn't he? His name was Thomas. We call him what? Doubting Tom. Doubting Thomas, remember the story, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples, and some of the women and others that gathered in behind locked doors on resurrection Sunday night. 
And Jesus suddenly appeared among them, and he ate fish, he ate bread, he ate in front of them, he showed them his hands and his feet, and he appeared with them. They thought it was a ghost, but no, it was him, the resurrected Christ. And whenever Thomas, who was not there at that meeting, arrived, they said, we have seen the Lord. And he says, I do not believe it. And they said, Really, we did. We said, we've we seen him. He says, I will never, ever believe it unless I see it with my own eyes and touch his own hands with my own fingers. And I just won't believe it. And he refused to believe. So one week later, they are gathered together behind locked doors again. And guess who arrives? Jesus. And guess who's there? Tom. And he said, um, Tomboy, come here. And he said, Why don't you put forth your fingers and see my hands? Put forth your hand and put it into my side. And then he said, Tom, stop unbelieving and believe. And Thomas said one of the greatest confessions, my Lord and my God, you are God in the flesh. Well, and Jesus said these words, blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Listen, when the Holy Spirit speaks in your life, it's just as powerful. Jesus is risen from the dead. When the gospel is preached and you hear it and you know it's true, you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you have everlasting life. There was a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She suffered. She suffered for 12 long years, ostracized. 12 long years, considered to be unclean. 12 long years, couldn't go to the house of worship. Twelve long suffering years. She suffered at the hands of many physicians. But in her heart, she said, I know. I just know if I could reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. You remember the story? There was a press of people all around her. And she reached out and she touched him. And when she just touched his garment, Jesus felt the strength or power come out of him, and he turned and he looked, and there was this woman, and he says to her daughter, he says, your courage, your faith has saved you, and she was healed. Some of you right now, today, your life is a mess and a turmoil. And you just somehow know that if God could change and you, you, you know that you need the Lord in your life, listen, believe, reach out to him, touch him, and he'll reach out to him by faith. Put your life in his hand and he'll forgive you and heal you and save your life. Jesus was teaching in Capernaum. The house was filled. There was no room for them anywhere in the, anybody else to attend the services They were being held in a house where Jesus was teaching. There were lots of scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law that were there, as well as seekers and pilgrims that 
trying to listen to every word that Jesus was saying. And there were four boys came carrying their friend on a mat. You remember the story. And they said, we'd like to get him in to see Jesus. They said, there's no room. So they climbed along the side of the house and they got up on top of the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered their friend right down in front of Jesus. And the Bible says, and seeing their faith. Whose faith? The faith of the men that brought him. The faith of the man that was there in front of him on the stretcher. And when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. You see, he saw their faith. Faith in Christ. And he said, your sins are forgiven you. And those skeptics that were in the room says, ha, blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, I'm going to ask you a question. What is easier? What is easier to for, say, forgive his sins or say, take up your pallet and walk? Well, the truth of the matter is only God could do either one, forgive sins or heal that man. And Jesus said, in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your pallet and walk. And the old boy stood up, grabbed his pallet, and skipped out of the room. And everybody knew they were in the presence of Christ. Wow. Messiah. My friends... Do you have faith? Has your faith, is it rest in Jesus alone? There was an encounter with Jesus from the, with a Roman centurion, and this centurion came to Jesus, and he says, my servant is deathly ill, suffering. Would you? He says, and, 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 and I, I believe that you can heal him. And Jesus looked at him. He says, do you want me to come and heal him? He said, no, no, no. He says, I'm a man under authority. I'm a military officer. And so I have people that are under my authority. I say to them, go, and they go. And I say to them, come, and they come, because they are under my authority. So you are a man of authority. And at your word, people move to your command. Jesus said, I've not found anybody in all of Israel has the faith like this Gentile. And he says, go as you've believed, let it be done to you. And that very moment, his servant was healed. He believed. Have you trusted? Are you trusting in Jesus now as your Savior? There's life found in no one else. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, under judgment, but has passed from death unto life. What is the key here? Anyone who hears my word and what? What's it say? And what? Believes in him who sent me. Are you put, is your faith in Jesus alone? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you call on his name, he will save you, give you everlasting life. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have what? Life, and that what? Life what? Abundant, full, meaningful. It's eternal life. Jesus gives you eternal life. That's not only eternal life in heaven, but abundant life here. It's full and meaningful and purposeful. 
It's life that brings healing to your soul and hope to your life and forgiveness of your sin and joy in your heart and peace that passes all understanding. It is life that gives you stability and security and wholeness. It is life that gives you satisfaction. And it's real. Jesus didn't come that you might have faux life. You know what faux life is? I just made that term up. <laughs> I have in my office some furniture bought a few years ago, and it's faux leather. Let me tell you about faux leather. It peels off. It doesn't last, and it's not beautiful. Because it's not really leather. It's faux leather. Well, there's a lot of faux life that's offered. They promise you life, but it's not life. I have a Bible. It's leather-like. It's a very nice Bible. Not this one. It's a very nice Bible. It's an ESV study Bible. I mean, you need a cart to carry it around. It's huge but it has faux leather on it. It's all peeled off. It's ugly as sin. I, my Bible's ugly as sin. <laughs> because it doesn't, it's falling apart. Just the outside. Now the words are still the inspired word of God. But there's a lot of people selling you. They're selling you things that say it's life, but it's not life. But when Jesus gives you life, he gives you eternal life. He gives you real life. He gives you abundant life. Meaningful life. When Jesus gives you life, it's not term life. It's eternal life. It's whole life. It changes you. It gives you quality of life here, but eternal life in heaven. Do you know him? That's my question today. Are you trusting in him alone as your Savior? This is the confidence that we have. When you trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. Amen. Secondly, you not only have eternal life, but you have confidence in prayer. Now notice what he says, and this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever he asks, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So understand, this is confidence that we have holy, bond, we have holy uh, confidence and holy boldness, verse 14, holy boldness before him, verse 14. This is the confidence. The word confidence here means a holy boldness. And that means we can approach his throne with confidence. In chapter 2, verse 28, it says, So little children remain in him that when he appears we may have confidence, holy boldness, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. In chapter number 3, verse 21, it says, If our hearts do not condemn us, we have holy boldness before God. Confidence. And we receive what we ask from him because we keep his commandments and do what's pleasing in his sight. 
What gives us holy boldness? It is that we are in Christ, that we're walking in obedience to him, and we can confidently go to his throne of grace. If our heart is condemning us, we don't have confidence. But Jesus wants you to have confidence, holy boldness, in prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. You, many of you have this committed to, prayer, to memory. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will what? Knock, read it, say it with me. Knock and the door will be what? Open to you. So when you ask, it's given. Now verse 8, for everyone who what? Ask, receives, and to him who seeks what? And to one who knocks what? The door will be opened. How many of y'all believe this is true? Of course it's true. And Jesus then does an analogy. He says, don't you take care of your own children? How much more will God take care of you? Notice he says, if then you then being evil, he lets us know what we are, sinful, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Is your heavenly Father better than you are in his character? Of course, he's righteous, you're not. He is good and you are evil. He, if he, in his character, will provide for you. Because his character is much greater than you. He says, now listen. He says, if you have a son and he, and he asks you for bread, would you give him what? A stone? No. If he asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? No. He said, then if you, being evil, give good things, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you? Listen, he will take care of you. How many of y'all believe it? Tell your neighbor, he'll take care of you. He wants to answer your prayer. In chapter 14, verse 13 of John, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What a promise! So you say, Brother Tim, what is the problem with our prayer life? I'm glad you asked. Here, John says, if we ask anything according to his what? Will. We're praying out of the will of God. And you say, Brother Tim, what's that look like? Well, first of all, your motive's wrong in your praying. And sometimes we don't have because our motive is wrong. In James chapter 4, verse 3, look with me on the screen. James chapter 4, verse 3. Read it with me out loud. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong what? Motives that you may spend it on your what? Pleasures. So here's the problem. It's a motive problem. Lord, if you really love me, you'll answer my prayer. And when I go in this convenience store in just a moment, buy that lotto ticket. If you love me, you'll help me win. I've just put in this month's rent. God, you've got to answer this prayer while you gamble it away. Your motive's wrong. And you're out of the will of God. God's not a heavenly vending machine. God's carrying on work of grace inside of you. 
God's changing you. God's saving you. God's making you. God's molding you. And some of us need to be broken down so he can mold us. Problem number two is a sin problem. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Look at the scripture with me. Indeed, the Lord's not arm is not so weak, is not too weak to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear. But your iniquities, your sins, are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not what? Listen. James says, we know that if he hears us, if he hears us, we have what we've asked. But God doesn't hear when we're positioned in living a life of rebellion and sin and sedition and, and living un, in, with injustice and hatred in our heart. Like in Isaiah's day, he says, God's ears are not listening to you. Because you're not repentant. So the formula, whenever everything's dried up in your life and you're broken and you feel like that I'm so far away from God and you feel like you have no, uh, uh, you have no confidence before him in prayer and your heart is condemning you because of sin, what is the f- formula for my return and to have power in prayer? Well, you position yourself to be in Jesus Christ, obedient to him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will what? Hear from where? Heaven. And forgive our what? Sin. And heal what? The land. Now, he's talking about the nation, but he's talking about your own heart and life as well. Now, notice in verse 15, often we quote 714, mostly on patriotic days. But listen, that's, that's a misapplication of that. And now to look in verse number 15. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. From the place of repentance and turning to God and putting your life positionally in Jesus Christ, when you do, God's listening and God's answering. (laughs) Isn't that good? Yo, anybody want a good scripture verse to hang on to today? John's Gospel, chapter 15 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Amen. When I'm praying in alignment with God's word and his will, I have confidence before the throne of God that he hears me and he answers. Woo! Isn't that good news? Amen. Number three, a confidence in Jesus' victory. How many of y'all believe Jesus Christ is victorious? How many believe that he is strong? How many believe that he can keep you and protect you and take care of you? Notice in verse number 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. And the one who is born of God 
keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. You see, when you've come to know God, you don't live in persistent, continuous sin. And then the second part of this verse, the one who's been born of God keeps him. Who is the one? That is Jesus. So most scholars understand that he's speaking of Jesus here. And what does Jesus do? Jesus keeps those that are his. Did you know Jesus has hold of you? Jesus is keeping you. And Jesus will never let you go. John Stott said, The devil does not touch the Christian because the Son keeps him. And so because the Son keeps him, the Christian does not persist in sin. Here's some truths that will set you free. Number one, you are liberated by Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into your life, because of his accomplished work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he gives you eternal life and he has set you free and you no longer have to live in the squalor of defeat and sinfulness because God is at work in you. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly will be in the likeness of his resurrection. You are no longer enslaved to sin because you've been freed from sin. Romans chapter 6. You've been set free, liberated from sin. You're no longer held captive to sin. What good news. Look with me to Romans chapter number 6. You've been set free. Tell your neighbor, you've been set free. Man, you don't have to live in sinfulness anymore. He says, remember your baptism. Remember when you were baptized, you went under the water. Christ died and was buried. But you are also dead and buried. And when you came up out of the water, what? You're a new person. A new creation. That we might walk in the newness of life. Buried with him in the likeness of death. Raised to walk. Live a brand new life. The newness of life. But if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll certainly be in the likeness of a resurrection. Our old self was crucified so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, that you may no longer be enslaved to sin. For a person who has died is freed from sin. Sin no longer holds you. Verse 11 Romans 6, 11, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse number 14, for sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law but under grace. You've been set free, my friends. You don't have to live in enslavement to sin and self and Satan any longer. You are a child of God. You can live a new life. Number two, you were kept by Jesus. I hear you. I hear some of you saying, well, I just don't know about that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace. But you are also a saint. I'm St. Louis. <laughs> I'm I'm his child. I am, I've been changed. 
Now, he's not done. There's a, my family can attest to. There's a lot of work left in him. But that's who I am. So you can call me St. Louis if you want to. And you're a saint too. If you're in Christ. Amen? Amen. You're not only set free, you're liberated. You're kept by Jesus. You are kept by him. John's Gospel, chapter number 10. John's Gospel, chapter number 10, verse number 11. If you have your Bible, look with me. John 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. Does Jesus? Yes, he, he protects us. Verse 12. The hired hand, since he's not a shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them, runs away. When he sees a wolf coming, the wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand, and he doesn't care about the sheep, but I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Wow. Jesus is a good shepherd. He is keeping you and protecting you with his very life. Notice in verse number 26 and 7, it says, but you, believe that you, uh, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is even able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Did you know that you are, hit, that you are held by him? Take your hand, put it out here like this, and close it. Your life is held by Christ. Now I want you to take your other hand, and I want you to put it over there. This is your life. Your life is in the hand of Christ, and he holds you. And the Father's hand is over his Son. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Woo! You are kept by the power of God. You're not kept by your good works or your good looks, praise God. You're kept by the power of Christ. Hmm. Number three, you're being prayed for by Jesus. Now, that's an awesome thought. Romans chapter 8, and we're, I'm just going to read verse 34 only. In Romans chapter 8, In verse number 34. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died even more, has been raised. How many of y'all believe Jesus is raised from the dead? And he's ascended to heaven. How many of y'all believe that? Now, won't notice what he's doing right there. He's at the right hand of whom? God the Father. And he's doing what? Interceding for who? 
Tell your neighbor, Jesus is praying for you today. Now, does that blow your mind? Jesus is praying for you today. Wow. And there's a never day he's not. Wow. And you're protected by Jesus. He doesn't lose any of his. I lose stuff all the time. Anybody else ever lose stuff all the time? I mean, Christy said amen. I lose my keys. I lose my cell phone. Thank God for that little button on my ear that I can beat my phone with my watch. It's the most awesome thing ever created by man. Now, if I could just make it beep my keys and other things, my Bibles, my sermon notes, whatever. I lose all kinds of things. And it just is so frustrating to me. But can I tell you something? Jesus never loses any of his own. He said, all that you have given me in John 17, I have lost none. And he prays for us in John 17 that, God, you keep them, protect them. I'm out of time. I won't. You can look up that scripture verse in John 17 in the notes. And not only that, you're being perfected by Jesus. Can, you know what? He's doing a work in you, and he is not. You are not the finished product yet. Can somebody say Amen. God is at work in you, both to will and to do. He is working in you. He's bringing you to completion. He is bringing you to maturity. Paul says, that's why I labor and strive and work in Colossians. And we're not going to look at the text, but, but I'm just saying Jesus is working in you. And so some of you are going through some suffering in your life. God even takes the suffering you're going through. And he loves you so much, he lets that suffering do perfecting work in you. Some of you are going through sorrow in your life. You grieve. You lost something. You lost someone in that deep aching of sorrow. But in that sorrow, God meets with you there because he loves you. And he's using even your sorrow to perfect you. And to change you. His grace is sufficient for you. You're in the middle of a difficulty and you want it to be removed. But God, Paul knew that. And he said he prayed again and again and again. But God said, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. Because when you're weak, I'm strong in you. You see, I've got a greater plan and perspective than you could ever understand. Your life is a display of my grace and my power and my glory. I'm working so that my son might be most evident in your life. He makes no mistake. And he's at work in your life. John dispels a lot of those false narratives we hear in this world. And here are some answers to it. Number one, take away, you now have eternal life in you. Say it with me. You now have eternal life in you. Number two, you now have what? Abundant life. Where? In you. You now 
have access to God's throne. How? Through prayer. You now have victory over sin, Satan, and worldly forces of evil. Number five, no one and no thing can separate you from God. Number six, say it out loud with me. God. And all God's people said. Thank you, Father, for the word. It's true. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Help us to walk in confidence, boldly, in faith before you. In Jesus' name.